Well, I'm going to miss you guys, not just that clap, but it's, it's been great to spend some time with you. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to finish Colossians 1, 3, or no, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. So again, just to remind us all what we're doing, we're looking at the practical implications of what it means to be a Christian, an authentic Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And our guide is Colossians 3, 1 through 17 which starts with what two words? If. if then. If then. If you're a Christian, then this is what's true of you. You've made three decisions. You work on three practices. And you have three perspectives that allow you to access the power source of Jesus Christ. So three sets of three. The three decisions are identified by the three W words that precedes the name of Christ in the first four verses. Decision number one is this, you decide to be with Christ. You do this by asking him to be your savior, the only one who can forgive you, and your Lord, the only one who's worthy of following and guiding you through life. Decision number two is you decide to live for the values and the agenda of heaven because, well, that's where Christ is, and you're with him. Decision number three is you decide to wait for the day when Christ shows up to make everything right. You realize you're in the middle of the great and grand story. You're not the end of the story. You're somewhere in the middle. Now, these three decisions have practical implications. So the authentic Christian begins to rearrange their daily life. They begin to put things in their life in different places than they used to be. They work on three practices that allow them to move and rearrange their life in a way that pleases Christ. And the key word in this next section is the word put. So the old practices of making an idol out of something here on earth is put to death. And then the old familiar practices and patterns of using anger and deception to manipulate people and get your way, while well, they are practiced, they're put off. And then the practical exercises of love are put on. These are the scales to the instruments of love, and you practice these. And then under the direction of Jesus Christ, harmony begins to emerge in places where you wouldn't think there could be harmony. Now, even if you've made these three decisions and you've begun to work on these three practices, you will discover that it is still incredibly easy to get off track. In fact, to get off track, all you have to do is nothing, and you'll be off track. You'll be in the ditch. The reason is that you have a past with deep ruts to it, a history that is powerful. And you have now taken on an invisible enemy that you are unmatched for. So thankfully, Christ is far more powerful than your past or than Satan. But in order for the power of Christ to be of any use, you're going to have to let his power into your daily life. And that's the key word in this last section is the word let. Now, how do we do this? Well, it's this word let. The three let phrases are like a three-pronged plug that allows you to plug into the power of Jesus Christ. First of all, you let rule Christ's peace. You let him blow the whistle when you're out of, bound, out of bounds of what it takes to have his peace rule in your life. And then you let dwell Christ's words, and then you let live Christ's name. Now these address the three most common ways we short-circuit the power of Jesus Christ in our life. Worry, 
takes over our mind and our emotions. And this short circuits the power of Christ. So this is why we need the peace of Christ to rule. Otherwise, we're not going to spend any time on the practices. We're going to be too busy freaking out about whatever the current challenge is. We need to find the peace of Christ if we're going to be able to really focus on growing as a Christian. The second way that we short-circuit the power of Christ is we get off track because we believe a lie. This is what the enemy does, is he is the father of lies, and he lies, whispers lies into our ears, not audibly, but in our thoughts, sends us emotions that are just not true. And we believe these lies, and we waste a day, and then we waste a couple days, and then we waste a week, and maybe a month, and I've known people to waste many more than that, just believing a lie. And that's why we need the Word of Christ to set us straight and break us free from the lies. The third way we short-circuit the power of Christ is we become arrogant and we turn selfish and we forget that we're a part of something much bigger than us. We forget that whatever we do in word or deed, we need to do in the name of Jesus Christ. So any of these three can and do derail an authentic Christian. So we have to keep plugging back in. I don't know if you've ever had a, an appliance with a plug that kept falling out of the, the socket. You got to keep going back and plug it in. This is the way we are. I just wish you could duct tape the thing to the wall and it would just stay in place. But that's not the way our hearts are. You get the piece of Christ and then the plug falls out and you're in worry again. You got to plug back in. You get the word of God setting you straight on something and then you believe another lie, and you got to plug back into the truth. And then you forget what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to carry his name into this world, and you start going on your own direction and charging off on something that you want. you got to plug back in. You just have to keep... It's just, the Christian life is just a, a continual effort, usually daily, of just picking the plug back up off the ground and sticking it back in and getting the power you need for that day. And then you look back, it's like, it got unplugged again. And you just plug it, plug it back in. So the power of Christ, his words, is what we're going to look at next. The power of his words help us build a life that, it's, that stays on track, that is a blessing both to us and to others. So here's what it says in Colossians 3.16, the next verse we're going to look at. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? Well, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the words of Christ become your home. That's what this is saying. Now, what's, what's true of a home? Not a dorm, but a home. Well, it's the foundation from which, you know, you live life. It was in a home that you grew up. You learned the patterns of life that shape you, some good, some not so good. A home is where you go at the end of a long day to rest and recharge so that you can go out and face another day. If there's problems at home, it usually affects every part of your life. Now, for the Christian, the words of Christ become their new home. It doesn't mean they, they don't set up homes and they don't 
live under ruse. No, but the words become a dwelling place for them, a new foundation, a new place to go to recharge and refocus and re-energize. And the kind of home that we are told that we are to build out of the words of Christ is a rich home. This is over time to become a mansion for each of us. This is not to be a shed in the backyard where you store stuff that you never use. This is to be a lavish dwelling. So just imagine maybe in the home you grew up in or maybe in your mind, there's a a den or the most comfortable room in a home that whenever you go home, you just, you want to go sit in that chair. You want to go sit in that backyard, whatever it is. This is the idea. It's, It's the place that is a dwelling for your heart. It's where you live and then where you go out from. So how can we take the words of Christ and let them dwell in us richly. Let it become a home that's a rich and lavish dwelling from which we live our life. Well, there's three, three items that are required for that to happen. First of all, you have to learn Christ's words. You actually have to know what the words are. So if the words of Christ are going to become a home for us, they need to go from words on a page the words I know, and then words I do. You have to build them into your life. They have to go from pages in a book to words that I read and words that I understand. So this is um, my copy of the words of Christ. Now, the actual words of Christ in my copy of the Bible are printed in red ink. This is the red letter edition. So you may have have a Bible like this where the words of Christ are red letter. So one of the things that's important to understand is when it says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, it's not saying, so just read the red letters. Those are the actual words of Christ. All of the other black letters, all of the other black words are essential in order for you to understand the red words. Because everything that happened in the Old Testament portion of the Bible was setting the stage for and creating the categories for which the ministry and the life of Christ would make sense. And if you don't really understand those words, then you're not going to fully understand the words of Christ. You can understand just reading the words of Christ, but you're, over time, you're not going to be able to build a rich dwelling out of those words if you don't understand all of the black words too. So sometimes people make the mistake of saying, you know, I, I love Jesus, I'm going to I'm just going to do the reds, red words. I'm going to focus on that. That's not enough in order to build a rich dwelling out of these words. So these are to be the foundation on which we build a life. I want to show you, um, I think we'll put this up on the screen. I want to show you some of the construction plans that we use to... uh, build the buildings that um, we are now using as a church at Seabreeze. So this is just one page out of, so these are all rolled up. I thought, well, I could unroll them. And I thought, well, first of all, now I've only got one hand, so I can't unroll them. Plus, you probably couldn't all see them. But this is one set of plans that we used about 12 years ago to construct the buildings that are now uh, part of our church. And these, um, this is, there's all kinds of rolls like this. In fact, we have in our office, we have a big metal bin 
just full of these kinds of plants. Now, if you look at a page like that, you can get kind of an idea of maybe the outline of what the worship center in our property looks like. If you've ever been to Seabreeze, you might recognize this. But to be honest, if you were to open up these plans and you were to look at them, it wouldn't make a, a, a whole lot of sense. There's just a lot of details and a lot of arrows and a little you know, drawing here and there. You just don't know really what's going on, you know, this, this kind of stuff. Would you know what to do with this? Take this, build something. Uh, I, I wouldn't know what to do. And the reason you wouldn't know what to do, and I wouldn't know what to do, is because we haven't put in the time that's required to learn how to read construction documents. Now, if you're an architect, maybe you would know a little bit what to do with this. Now, again, you can get a basic idea by looking at them, but if you don't have experience in building, then you don't know what to do with these. And, and I say this because this is kind of the way the Bible appears to most people. You know, they pick up a, the Bible and they open it to a page and they read it and it's like, huh, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do. Now, sometimes they land on a page that's really clear just all by itself. There's a lot of those pages, but there's a lot of pages in the book of the Bible where you read and you think, wow, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Kind of like looking at these construction documents. I, I don't know how to build a life out of that particular page. And the reason it's important to understand that is that it takes time to learn how to read the Bible and turn it into a life. And just like you can't expect to take construction documents like this and build without any training, without any help, without any advice, you really can't expect to do the same thing with the Bible. You need to put in the effort to learn the words of Christ. Now, we think of words primarily as the conveyors of ideas. You know, we've, we've all had a lot of conversations so far this week, and we'll, you guys will have many more. And the words we use convey ideas that are in our minds to someone else, and then they talk, and so they're trying to get words that are, or the ideas that are in their mind to us, and words are the vehicle by which those ideas are transmitted. And if, if we can turn our words into reality, then we prefer that because then something that starts as an idea in our mind and we speak, it has power if we can make those words happen. But God's words are different than our words because God's words are the very definition of reality. This is important to understand. We speak and it's just a thought. It's just an idea. God speaks and it's reality. It just happens. God speaks, and it is. We speak, and it might become. It's God's words that initiate everything. The first words of God are recorded in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 1-3. We read this, and God said, God spoke and said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. He spoke and reality occurred. If God had remained silent, there would be no light. There would be no matter. There would be no you. There'd be no me. You know, scientists, of course, have given a lot of thought about how the universe came to be. 
the way it is. And there's a lot of theories, and the theories keep being updated as new data comes in. But there's one thing that everybody agrees. There's one point that everybody agrees on when it comes to the, the question of origins. And that is something really big and something we don't understand, something mysterious, happened somewhere way back there at the beginning. Scientists don't know what that was. But they know all the evidence points to something big. Whether it was a bang or some other big thing, you know, there's, those theories keep changing. But something big happened. What was it? We don't know. Something big happened. Now, the Bible identifies that big something as God spoke. And then, bang, <laughs> stuff happened. Now, God not only speaks words that create reality, he also speaks words that explains reality, what he's already created. Words that explain who he is and who we are. And these are the types of words that are found in the pages of the Bible. Words that describe reality. Not just, hey, here's some things to think about, but here's the way things are. Here's the way the unseen world really is that stands behind the seen world. And so these words in the Bible become like architectural plans about how we are to build a life that is a blessing to us and to others and that pleases the God who made us. Now, we, of course, have been given the freedom to construct any life we want. We can build anything that we want, and people do that. Every day you wake up, you get a chance to decide how, how are you going to build today? What kind of life are you going to construct with this day? Every day is a construction project. You get to decide, what am I going to build today? We all get that freedom. But a building that is constructed without plans turns out to be a very different one that's built from plans. I don't know if you've ever tried just to build something without plans. It doesn't work out very good. If you just start winging it, you usually end up with something that's not very functional. And this is what happens in life. Most people are winging it when it comes to building a life. They're kind of feeling their way forward day by day and building a life based on what I want today. And that's why by the time you get into your 30s and 40s, people's lives are pretty chewed up because they've just been winging it day by day. I mean, if we decided to construct the buildings on our church property based on, you know what, let's just wing it day by day, we'd still be constructing. And it wouldn't, wouldn't look good. Because one day you head this way, and the next day, you know what, I think I want to work on this part of the building. And you work over here, and then you work over there, and, and then someone else comes along and says, well, I'm going to build this. Well, I don't want to build that. I want to build this. And so you just have all kinds of chaos that doesn't really work in life. And one of the great blessings of being a follower of Jesus Christ is you get a set of construction documents that have stood the test of time that allow you 
if you will learn them and use them to build a life that really, really works. Sometimes people come up to us, and my wife and I, and they say, boy, you really got lucky. Your kids are just amazing. It's like, well, we really are grateful for God's kindness. But you know, we really worked hard on understanding what God's word says about parenting. And we were really intentional. And you know what? Now that I'm a grandfather of five, I can say you really want to parent based on what God says. If you want to parent based on what the current ideas are, they'll change in five years and you'll parent a different way and then they'll change five more years and you'll parent another way and you'll end up with kids that are, who knows? So this is the blessing of building a life out of God's words. So when we read the pages of the Bible, we're not just reading interesting stories and hearing some good advice for us to consider. We're looking at the building plans that God has given us for the purpose of building the kind of life that lasts and can be a good home for us and a blessing to those around us. But like any building plans, these words require more than just a casual glance. Like any set of plans, they're just going to sit there. It's up to us to let them in. That's the word let. Let them in. To read them. To learn them. And so authentic Christians put in the time over the years in 15-minute blocks, sometimes in 30-minute blocks, sometimes in one-hour-long blocks and in increments. They put in the time to read another part of God's Word and then try to figure out, okay, how would I build based on this? What, what would I have to do different in my day to implement these words into my life? Now, the book is too big to do this in one week or one year. You, you just do this a little bit every day, and then a little bit every day, and then a little bit the next day. And by the time you do this for decades, much to your surprise, you turn around and it's like, huh, something really good is being built. But it just happens day by day. And as the years go by, they learn more. Authentic Christians do about these words. And they understand more and more of them. So if, you, if you're new to this and you pick up the Bible and you're like, and you read something, you think, I don't get it. That's okay. They're just... It's going to take time. Get around some people that know a little more about you and get some help figuring these things out. And then just make progress. Put in the time. So first of all, if we're going to let the words of Christ dwell on us richly, we need to learn them. We need to read the documents and figure out how to do them. And then that's, well, that's actually the second point. Then we need to use Christ's word. We need to build with them. So, you know, I hold up a, a roll of architectural plans like this, and I ask you, does this look like a home to you? No. Just a set of plans. I could hold up my copy of the Bible. Does that look like a home to you? No. It's just a big book with a lot of words. So when did all those drawings on those plans and artist renderings become a home for us as a church? When we actually started constructing. 
building with them. It's the same with the pages of the Bible. Descriptions of how to structure your thoughts and life, they don't become a home until you do it. This is the key part of the Bible is if all you're doing is learning and learning and learning and learning and not doing, you're wasting your time. It's really easy to learn. It's much harder to do. So the tendency is for people to just really focus on learning or discussing or talking about these words and then just kind of never get around to doing the hard work of thinking through, now, how would I do that? But that's where they become a building, a dwelling, a home, is you actually do them. So how do you do that? Well, in this verse, we are given the goal, the one goal that is accomplished by two actions, repeated actions. It's in this phrase, you do it by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The goal is wisdom. That's the goal. What the word wisdom means is it's basically situational awareness of what God wants me to do now. That's wisdom. You know what to do based on what God has said in this current situation. It's different than knowledge. You know, knowledge shows up on a written test. You know, so you could read the Bible and learn all kinds of knowledge, and I could give you a test. You know, how many, how many tribes were there in Israel? I'd give you all kinds of tests, and you could score really high on that test and not be wise. You'd have all kinds of Bible knowledge and not be wise. Wisdom is when these words are used to build a life. That's what wisdom is. And you build a life based on, well, what do I do now? This problem has just come up. What does God's word say about this situation? That's when you're learning wisdom. Situational awareness of, what does God say about this? That's the goal. And it's kind of like construction. You gain in wisdom as you build, day by day, choice by choice. Now, if you're going to become wise and you're going to build a home and a life out of the words in this book, it's going to require two actions. These are the two actions that are described here. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching, first of all, there are two parts to the teaching equation. There's the student side of the equation and the teacher side of the equation. And if we are to become at home with these words, we're going to need to do both. First of all, we're going to need to be students. We're going to need to hear and learn about God's word from those who know more about it than we do. From those who are maybe further ahead on building their life by these words. That's, that's what we're doing here. I'm teaching. You guys are students. You're learning. You're taking down notes. Now, if these notes don't ever get into your life, then this was not a good use of time. But you're students. You're learning how to do this. This is why there is a teaching component whenever the church gathers together. You know, every Sunday there's a teaching component. When you gather together as Christian Challenge Weekly, there's a teaching component. And that's why. 
It's because you need help. We all need help in figuring this stuff out. You know, you're, you're in college because why? You need to learn how to do whatever it is that you're pursuing, whatever degree it is. Yeah, you could self-study and learn, but you, you're probably not going to learn as much as if you will be able to sit down and listen to someone who knows about this a little more than you do. So there's, there's the student side, the practical tips on how to build a life out of these words. But if all you do is sit and listen to someone else teach about God's word, you're, you're only going to get so far. You also need to get on the other side of the equation and be able to teach. Now, you don't have to do what I do. You don't have to get to the point where you, you stand up in front of you know, larger groups of people. That's not what you have to do. But you have to get to the point where you are able to learn enough from the Bible and use it to build a life so that you're going to be able to help others use those words to build their life. So let me ask you this. Who knows the material better? The teacher or the student? Teacher. Why? Well, the teacher has to spend a lot more time to get to the point where they're able to teach. You know, for example, so far I've taught on these 17 verses here, you know, a little over four hours or so. I think that's about how long I've been up here teaching on these 17 verses. Now, what I'm teaching you is a result of study that I did years ago. Years ago, I was working my way through the book of Colossians, and I came to these 17 verses, and I saw all the lists, and my first thought was, oh, that looks like a lot of work to understand this. But then it was as if, well, the Holy Spirit said, you need to slow down and figure this out. So I did. The first thing I did is I, I took the time to commit these 17 verses to memory. That took a while. And then I didn't track it exactly, but I went back and looked through my quiet time notes. I just did this in quiet time. This wasn't like a project separately. I did this on quiet time. But my guess is I spent over 100 hours in personal time pondering these 17 verses in 15, 20, 30-minute, sometimes one-hour increments in the morning before I went to work. And after 100-plus hours of thinking about this and praying about this and wrestling with what does this mean and what's that, I don't understand this, and asking God for help, after that period of time, these 17 verses, I would say, have become like a comfortable den for me. This is my man cave. <laughs> I love these 17 verses. In fact, you know, all you would have to do is walk up to me and just say, if then. And a little smile might break out of my face if I was tracking with you. Oh, we're talking about my favorite place. I love these 17 verses. It's kind of the thought I have when I walk home and I get to sit down in my favorite chair. It's like, oh, I love this chair. This is a, this is a dwelling. I love these verses. I come back to these verses again and again to get my thinking and my life back on track. Now, you may connect with and like what I've said, but these 17 verses, it's not a dwelling for you yet, probably. 
you'll have to put in the time if you want these verses to, you know, maybe I can get it, help you get a jump start on these. And it doesn't have to be these. I mean, pick a spot and do the work. So reading these verses is, is kind of like going home to me. You know, tomorrow I'm going to drive home and I get to sleep in my own bed. The older you get, the nicer your own bed is. I'm looking forward to just, oh, my bed. And that's, that's what these verses are for me. So pick some part of God's Word and build a den out of it. Maybe just a comfortable chair. Be able to explain it to someone else. That's how you know that it's been built. You can not just explain it, but you can help them build a life with these words. See, the parts of God's Word that are a home to you, you can explain clearly enough to others to be of real help to them. So that's the teaching part. You're on the student side, you're listening, you're learning. That, that never ends. I do that. I keep sitting down and learning, listening from other people. And then you're on the teaching side. You figure out, well, how can I help? And then the next one is the admonishing. So teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing means to correct someone. Now, this is not talking about becoming the Bible police and telling everybody what they're doing wrong and what verse it is they're violating. That's not what this is talking about. Remember, this is to be done in all wisdom. That is not a wise approach to people. The idea is this. Get yourself prepared to help people with their problems. You know, one of the things you can guarantee about someone's life, they're going to have problems. I'm going to have problems. You're going to have problems. Life just has a way of providing all kinds of correction in the form of personal pain. And when people are in pain, they're trying to figure out, what's going on? What happened? And they're trying to figure out, well, what can I do to avoid this kind of pain in the future? And if you've experienced that same kind of pain, and you've learned what the Bible has to say about that pain, you can be a real help at that point. You can help correct their thinking. So think of the problems that you've had or do have right now. Think of the problems other people have. And then ask yourself, do I know what the Bible has to say about this? Would I be able to help someone get some answers in this area of life? If not, get some help finding the answers. Get ready to help people when they're open. You know when people are open? When they're hurting. That's when you can help. Now, it doesn't say, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, reading it in all wisdom. Reading it is how you start. It says teaching and admonishing one another. And it's one another. What this means is we have to have conversations about the words of Christ in order for us to build a home out of these. Well, why not just read it privately and have it end there? I mean, that, that's where it starts. You sit down, you read these words by yourself. But if doing that would just, if you could just read the, this book and it would change you, then we could do it all alone. But this can't be done as an individual. That's what that one another implies. One another means you got to at least have one other. 
So you can't do this as an individual. You have to be in relationships to one another in order for teaching to occur and admonishing to occur. You know, we, we can learn from a teacher, a teacher of God's words. We can learn some stuff. But that's not as helpful as it needs to be. If wisdom is going to be gained about how to build a life, just not facts about the Bible, then we're going to have to learn from someone's life that we know. In other words, you want to learn from someone who you can see how they've built their life. This is why you need one another. You, know, you, you can listen to someone teach about God's words online, on the radio. And that's, that's not bad. It's not an awful thing to do. But you don't know anything about that person. Their life could be a complete and total wreck. And what that means is they have Bible knowledge, but they don't have any wisdom. You want to learn from people that have wisdom. And you don't know if they have wisdom until you know them well enough to see what kind of life they've built. And you can't see the kind of life they built online. So admonishing doesn't happen remotely. We can only really help and be helped up close. Now, if the Bible is just an academic book, you know, like a text in one of your classes in school, then it doesn't matter where you get the info from. You can go to one church on Sunday because the speaker is amazing. And then you can go to another church the next Sunday because they've got a, a, you know, the new big Christian speaking star coming in from town and you want to hear that guy speak because he's amazing. And then you can go to a different Bible study in a different church you know, because you got some friends there. And then you can listen online to another guy and then you can listen to Christian radio as you're driving to work. And you'll pick up knowledge, but you will not grow in wisdom. Now, hear me correct. I'm not saying don't listen to anyone online and never listen to Christian radio and never pick up a Christian book. That's not all I'm saying. But if you're going to build a life that's wise, you need to learn from someone who is building a life that's wise, someone you know. Not, God does not mature us as individual Christians. He puts, puts us in churches to move his mission in this world forward. And it's on those teams, those body of Christ teams, where God grows our wisdom. This, again, is another reason. I keep coming back to this. But this is another reason why it's so important to connect to the body of Christ. Because you don't just need God information. You don't need Bible facts. You need wisdom. I need wisdom. Then the last thing is singing Christ's words. This is the third way that the words of Christ become a rich dwelling, singing Christ's words. Now, this, honestly, is probably the most surprising part to us. Really? Singing? Here's what it says. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I've heard some people say, well, <laughs> you don't want to hear me sing. You know, I've got a terrible voice. I've got pitch problems. So are you saying I can't be an authentic Christian? No, it's really key to understand. It doesn't say performing. It just says singing. 
So it's not talking about quality. It could be really, really bad singing. <laughs> but it's still technically singing, right? <laughs> so you got to sing. Why? Singing has the ability to get words to sink deep into our hearts. There's something amazing about music. Amazing thing about music is that it, it connects with us on a soul level in ways that few other things can. You know, my four-year-old granddaughter, Millie, knows her ABCs. And she learned them not by memorizing all of the letters in the alphabet, but by singing what? The ABC song. Now, I could start singing the song to you, but if I start singing, you're not going to be able to think about anything else other than that tune. And I want you to pay attention as best you can this late in the day. But this, this is what, okay, yeah, here we go. I shouldn't have done that. You're gone. And return. Come back as best you can. But this is the effect that singing has on our mind. It just goes deep. So if we want to make a home out of Christ's words, we've got to make a regular habit of singing them. And there's, there's three kind of song versions that the church sings that are mentioned here. First, there's the Psalms. These are the prayers to God that are recorded in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. You know, a lot of the songs that, you know, you sing on Sunday, and even some of the songs, you know, we've sung here, they come out of the Psalms. In fact, that's what the Psalms was. They, they were set to music. We didn't get the music, we got the words. So we get to add the music. And then we sing hymns. What are hymns? These are, the hymns are the songs of the church that have stood the test of time. I mean, there's no particular date on these, but generally hymns are, you know, 100 plus years old. I mean, we, we sung a couple of them here. Christians have been singing these hymns for hundreds of years. And if you're singing something for several hundred years, there's probably something really good in it, if it's still hanging around. And then there's spiritual songs. These are the newer songs about Christ that often reflect you know, whatever the current music styles are of the culture. And you may have a favorite song or a favorite one of these three, but the point of singing is not the style, not the words even themselves, it's that we're really, that we're doing this together. Because when we sing, this is not a concert that we attend to be entertained. This is one of the amazing chances that we get to combine the power of music with the power of Christ's words. Now, why can't we just sing Christian songs alone in the car? If we're a really bad singer, that might be kind. Just belt it out all by yourself. But that's not what this is talking about. When we sing together, like we've done here this week, we're delivering a powerful message to each other. Now, we're all looking this direction, and those that are leading us are looking this direction but we're really delivering a powerful message to each other in this context. You know what the message is? What we're saying to each other is, you know what? This Jesus stuff is real. And as we're looking around, you know what we're told? Huh. Maybe I'm not crazy to believe this. Because there's a lot of capable and intelligent people in this room so they're not all crazy. 
You know, you go out in the world and sometimes for being a follower of Jesus Christ, you get the idea that you're just, you're just crazy. You drank the Kool-Aid, <laughs> you know? But then you get in a situation like this and we're singing songs and we hear each other's voices and we realize, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one that did the research and came to this conclusion. This person over here that I'm hearing sing did it and that person over there and... All of us did this. So you listen to their voices and you let their faith in Christ elevate your faith in Christ. Now that only occurs if you open your mouth and sing. If you just stand here stoically, that's not helping anyone's faith. If you don't open your mouth to sing, your voice will be missing. But if what you see as you look around are people that are singing, then your faith is encouraged. Now, if you don't, if you don't believe these words, then, you know, don't sing them. That's okay if you're just checking it out. But if you have come to the conclusion that you really want to be with Christ, then belt it out. It'll help add to your faith and to the faith of others as you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, one of the mistakes that people make, my experience is, they pick the two parts of a gathering like this, which is the music and the message. Same thing on Sundays, music and message. And they have a favorite. Some people prefer the message, some people prefer the music. That's okay. You need both. So, usually, the gatherings start with music. And people who don't really like the music, they want the singing, they'll come in at the end just to hear the message. But they're missing out on the, this part of letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly. So the three let phrases, again, are like that three-pronged plug that keeps falling out that we have to keep plugging in. Let rule Christ's peace. Let dwell Christ's word. And then, let live Christ's name. And we'll end here. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, the way that reads in the Greek language is, let live Christ's name. To do something in the name of another means that you're doing and saying what they would do and say if they were in your shoes. So to live Jesus' name means to live as his representative in front of the people you see. This is important to understand. When you decide to be with Christ, what that means is that what you do and what you say now falls under his name. And we tend to think of our own life as our own life. We think of our careers as our careers, our money as our money. Our time is our time to do with what we please. But it now all falls under him. There's no off-duty time. You know, there's rest time, but there's no, you know what, it doesn't matter what I do right now. No, it always matters. Same with me being married to my wife. When I decide to be with Rebecca, even though I'm here and she's not here because I'm with her, Everything I do affects her. 
we're connected. You know, the word Christian, what the word Christian means is to take the name Christ. That's what the word Christian means. You've taken on his name. And as such, you've taken on a role. Whenever you speak, whenever you do something, you're on stage before the watching world. And before that world, you are bringing to life the one who is the watershed decision for everyone, Jesus Christ. The problem is that we tend to only have vague ideas about what Jesus might actually do in our situation. And here's the challenge. Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. So he's never been to Southern California. He's never been to Northern California. He never worked the jobs I've worked. So what would Jesus do in my place? What would he say? You know, if I, if I ever came across a demon-possessed man and then I looked over here and there was a herd of pigs, I might think, wait, 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 I've read this somewhere. <laughs> if you're familiar with this story, this is something that actually happened to Jesus. A demon-possessed man came up. Jesus cast the legion of demons out of that man and cast him into the pigs. So if that happened to me, I'd, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. If I'm going to represent Jesus, the demons go in the pigs. That has never happened to me. And I, I don't expect it's going to happen. The challenge is that I, I'm married. Jesus was never married. I get cut off in traffic. Jesus never drove. <laughs> there was no traffic. I guess donkeys and people, but I don't know that they cut each other off. So he's never faced that. You know, I, I get on the phone with an Apple genius, and it gets really frustrating. Jesus never had to deal with that. So what would Jesus say when an Apple genius treats me wrongly. How, how would you? I don't know. Jesus never had an iPhone. So what does it mean to let live his name, to do what he would do in this situation? Well, Jesus isn't after a kind of reenactment of his life where we kind of mimic him. No, what Jesus did through his words is he constructed a way for us to live and speak in any place in any time. This is why doing everything in the name of Jesus follows let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If the word of Christ isn't dwelling in you, you're not going to know much of what to do in his name. It's as we learn the words of Christ that we can live out the name of Christ. And I wish I had time to spend more time on this one, but I don't. So let me just, just create this category for you. You can do more thinking about this later. To live in the name of Christ also means to pray in his name. I don't know if you've noticed that many prayers, many Christian prayers end in what? In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Why? It's not just a ritual. It's a reality. Jesus' name is the name above all names. It is the name that is the authority over all names. And so we ask for help in the name of Jesus Christ. 
over and over and over again. As you go through your days and you face challenges and situations, just pause and say, oh, Jesus, help me. I ask for help now in the name of Jesus Christ. And you rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. As you're struggling with temptation, as your heart is pulling you back into the rut of the mess of whatever the past has been, one of the things that you really need to work on doing is just saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, I rebuke you and any of the demons that are messing with me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Just keep doing that. So pray in his name and rebuke the enemy in his name. So we started with two very important words that can be said about all of us. If then, it's a big if. If you're a Christian, well then, you know what? You know the secret to life. It's not buried anywhere on earth. It's with Christ. But if you don't, if you're not with Christ, well then, there's a good chance you're going to spend your entire, well there's actually a certain chance you're going to spend your entire life searching for and never finding the hidden treasure. If you're with Christ, then you've got a chance to build the kind of relationships that are characterized by real love, not that fickle, sentimental, emotional thing, but real love. But if you're not with Christ, well, then you're just going to know only the pain side and the betrayal side that manipulation brings. And if you know Christ, if you're with him, then you can have a peace that passes understanding. What that means is you can be in situations where people look at you and say, you have no reason to be at peace. And you can be at peace. But if not, well, then you're going to find more and more reasons to worry about the future. Because is the future looking brighter and brighter? It's looking scarier and scarier. I mean, pick, pick an issue. That's why the greatest blessing in any life is to be with Christ. This is why we share the good news about Jesus. He is the only if that changes everything, that changes both this life and the one to come. So let's read these 17 verses out loud. It's going to take a little while, 17 verses, but you can do it, okay? I think we've got them. We're going to project them on the screen here, slide by slide. All right, so get ready. Here we go, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. They are life. But they're only life if we, we do them. And so I pray that for everyone in this room, out of all these 17 verses, you, Holy Spirit, would put your finger on the particular idea that you want them to work on implementing. I pray that that would be really clear and that they would begin to work on this and do this. And that over time, more and more of your words would become a rich dwelling. We thank you for the life that you offer us in Christ. Jesus, we're so grateful for your sacrifice. And we are with you. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.